This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I was the first one in my immediate family to graduate from college. And I actually, to come out here that first summer, I I uh, missed my graduation, which broke my mom's heart at one level. And then again, my dad's thinking, okay, I got a college graduate. He's going thousands of miles to work in the laundry. What, you know, again, as I said, what a genius did I raise. But, you know, later that summer, and I, so I started an early man. I that first season and ended in September. And rather than make me take the Greyhound bus back, which is a whole other experience, but um, they decided to come out and pick me up that summer. And, and here's, Along, the, along with the fact that I fell in love with this place and had this life-changing experience, and to your point, decided I never want this to end. My folks, who were questioning my sanity uh, and intelligence at the first, you know, in May when I made this decision, they drove out and uh, from New York. And uh, I remember by the, when my when they showed up, my mother told me, "I'm a little worried. I think your dad's going to quit his job of you know many many years because." He's fallen in love with this, you know, starting in the Black Hills and South Dakota and, and, the, and the Badlands and then out here. He, he got bitten by the bug pretty quickly. That was Rick Honinghausen. Rick has 28 years experience in Yellowstone National Park. I have been asked so many times, how did I end up in the outdoor world? How do I do what I do for a living? And it it always is answered the same way. I had to get a start in the outdoor world somewhere. And my start came from working in a national park. In my case, it was the first national park that we ever had. And that is Yellowstone National Park. I worked out there when I was in college, I, I got a job in Yellowstone National Park as a room attendant at Lake Hotel, which meant that I was scrubbing toilets. And pretty much to this day, that's still my favorite summer that I've ever spent. Um, so I've suggested it to a lot of people, including my son, my nephew, my niece, 
my son's girlfriend, and probably just about every client that's ever come across my boat when they ask me if I've got any ideas about how their son or daughter could do something cool in the outdoors. I always suggest that working in a national park is is a really great opportunity. You get to spend a lot of incredible time in an incredible place. It doesn't have to be Yellowstone National Park. There's lots of national parks and there's lots of opportunities to work there. Anything from being a, uh, a maid to waiting tables to doing something far more. And as we find out in Rick's case, you can actually make a career out of it. So I reached out to try to get a good answer for a how-to Tuesday on what would be the appropriate steps to take to get uh, a job in a national park. And what I found was a story of someone who had followed their passion right into Yellowstone National Park and ends up making a career out of it. And he's the head of marketing for Zantera at this point. So I had a lot of questions and I loved this conversation with Rick Honinghausen. All right, Rick Honinghausen from Zantera. Man, thank you for spending a little time with me today. I had originally reached out to Zantera because we I do a little 10-minute show called How To Tuesday, and I've had so many people reach out to me because of my experience working in a national park asking me how someone would do that. And I kind of reached out to Zantera with an email, and you were nice enough to call me back, and we talked for a little bit. And I found that your story was far more interesting than just a little 10-minute show on how to how to work in a national park, which, of course, we'll get to. But uh, I was incredibly interested in, in your story because you have made a career out of working in national parks. So how did all this happen for you? Well, and thanks again for, for having me today. Of course. I started as a seasonal. I started the way you did my first summer here was 1980. I'd finished college and was looking for a way in some ways I guess, to avoid the real world. But um, at the same time, a friend of mine had gotten a job out here and I never thought one could get one. I'd only seen Yellowstone on television and dreamt about the day I might get to see it in person, but I never ever thought it would happen. So this friend got a job. He was a maid hired as a housekeeping. And, um, so I, I, I picked up an application, sent it and hope for the best. Next thing you know, I got a job and uh, coming out here to work in the laundry of all things. So I'll tell you, my father, uh, was wondering about me. The first one to graduate from college and first thing you're going to do is go thousands of miles away and work in the laundry with your college <laughs> degree, you know, way to go genius. And, but you know, it was calling and I did it. And I came out here, and it was the best summer of my life in, in a long list of great summers and winters and times. Um, that was really pivotal for me. And 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 I ended up working three different summers here. I'd go back to Syracuse, where I'm originally from, and find a job to hold me over until I could go back to Yellowstone the next summer. But it was a summer job that turned out to be so much more. It was you know just world first national park, and I love love being here. I met a lot of people, and and it turned out to be just much more of that than just a summer job. So, uh, you know, fate, as we'll I'm sure talk about, uh, kind of entered in. But the long story short is, I, I've got about 28 years now here in Yellowstone, and most of that is, you know, in the year-round position. And wow. uh, I also was fortunate to have four years in the Everglades, which is where I first started my full-time work with the 
in the national parks. So it all started with a summer laundry job. Wow. And then what, what interested me most about talking to you more in depth about your story was that you also raised a family in Yellowstone National Park. That's incredible. It, it's, it is incredible. And, uh, another, you know, some of that faith I just referenced earlier, I guess, played in. And, in back in 80, uh, I met a lot of people from all over the country. And, uh, one of them uh, was a young lady from Georgia who ultimately showed poor judgment and agreed to marry me. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But with that, obviously we share the love of Yellowstone and other, and all parks for that matter. But um, I came and went a couple of times, and while one of the periods we were away from the park is when we had uh, two daughters. And, and but I got to come back here. I got uh, this job, the director of marketing, in 1998. And when at that point we had a three and a five year old, and so they came. We all came back as a family, and those girls are now, you know, 27. Those women are now 27 and 24. But they grew up here. They went to elementary school here in the park. They went to middle school and high school just outside the park, um, but in Gardner, Montana. But yeah, they, they, they grew up here. They both ended up working here as well as seasonal employees over the course of that time. And they met a lot of people from around the world as a result. It, it's, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but I can tell you that it is a, for folks with mind frames like my wife and I, and I'm sure many other people, it, it's a beautiful place to raise a family. Man, that is incredible. That is one of the most, incredible childhoods i could i could imagine i mean you're you're in this magical place it's it's truly a magical place and every afternoon you're probably seeing new and different things i can't imagine that there's a lot of people that that have experienced that childhood how many how many people do you think are are raised or or even i guess there there's a possibility that people are being born in the park you know previous years you know back Earlier in the century, certainly people were born here. Now, fortunately, for me, it's about a 40 or 50, I should say an hour or 50 mile drive to the, to the nearest hospital uh, to actually have a baby the old fashioned way, I guess, in the hospital. But, um, I, you know, I suspect over the years it, it, it could be measured in hundreds. I, I'd be surprised if it's thousands. I mean, there are people certainly come here with children like I did, but I also I have a neighbor, uh, several neighbors, our controller, our executive director, director of operations, each have, you know, children who basically were born, you know, while they were in the parks. So, and in Yellowstone specifically. So, and there's parks for folks the same way, the year-round folks. Wow. So it's it's not unheard of, but it's probably not a huge fraternity of, uh, of children who've been born in the park. Um, a little bit larger group raised like mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and tons of, uh, I would say, quite a few bit more romances that had, started in the park with folks yes. coming together like I did for a summer and meet somebody who's special and, and it and all works out. So, yeah, it's far more in many ways, as we're saying, than a summer job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had, I had a very similar experience. I just went out there. I had no expectations whatsoever. I had really, I, I had not even, I mean, other than National Geographic magazine, I knew nothing of Yellowstone National Park and I go out there and I was completely amazed at everything I saw. I mean, I called it a magical place before you go out there and start working. And every day, it seems like you're just becoming more aware of just how incredible that place is. And, you know, you get to the end of your season and you're kind of like, I haven't seen enough. I haven't done enough. 
there's so there are more things that I want to do than that than I have done, and I'm ready to do this again. And I think that you know when I was there, there were many many people that just decided they weren't going back to college. Other people that said they they were past college and they just just said, you know what, this is this is pretty awesome. I don't know how you're going to get better than this, and they just stay there. That happens a lot, and I guess that eventually that probably happened to you, right? Oh, it certainly did. I was the first one in my immediate family to graduate from college, and I actually to come out here that first summer. I I uh, missed my graduation, which broke my mom's heart at one level. <laughs> and then again, my dad's thinking, "Okay, I got a college graduate. He's going thousands of miles to work in the laundry. What you know?" Again, I said, "What a genius did I raise?" But you know, later that summer, and I so I started an early man I, that first season and ended in September. And rather than make me take the Greyhound bus back, which is a whole other experience, but um, they decided to come out and pick me up that summer. And and here's along the, along with the fact that I fell in love with this place and had this life changing experience, and to your point, decided I never want this to end. My folks who were questioning my sanity uh, and intelligence at the first, you know, in May when I made this decision, drove out. And, uh, from New York. And, uh, I remember by the, when my, when they showed up, my mother told me, I'm a little worried. I think your dad's going to quit his job of this, you know, many, many years because he's fallen in love with this, you know, starting in the Black Hills and South Dakota and, and the, and the Badlands and then out here. It's, he, he got bitten by the bug pretty quickly. And so did my mom. They, they, they loved it. I mean, they saw what I, what I was only hoping to find here and, and had found. And they, they got to experience that in, in their trip out and while they spent time in the park before we went back together. And that was cool. And if I might, I'll go a step further because it, it, it became even more personal. I, uh, not long after I came back here in 90, I went home. My, my dad passed away. I went home for the funeral. And um, uh, neighbors told me, and my father never told me this, but my neighbors told me that, you know, your dad was talking, he wanted to move out there at some point. And my mom was in bad health and his, he was taking care of his mother too. And it's not a sad story, but the, the cool, the, 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 the big piece of this I will always remember and meant so much was that he got it so much so that he figured he'd be the last one standing in the family. And at that point he was going to move out here too. And I thought, wow, how, you know, how far have we come? And, and certainly that speaks but, you know, that's, that talks about the West. It talks about Yellowstone. And and so, yeah. It well, was, that, also, again, that also had to make you feel like maybe you you made exactly the right choice. I mean, when you're getting that kind of feedback from your dad or even from one of your dad's friends, maybe even more important, like he didn't say it to you, but he was saying it to his friends. Now you're like, you know, I knew it. I knew I was making the right choice. Here's a guy that spent his whole life working probably, and now he's longing to be doing exactly what you're doing right then. That's that's pretty cool. It meant a lot. It totally meant a lot. And uh, so, yes. And I, I kind of always knew he felt that way. I mean, again, even the first summer, and you know, he came back out to visit several other times, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I some of the appeal of this place I share with him. I'm, I'm sure my... My interest in the outdoors, you know, I can thank him for that. My desire to be a cowboy as a kid, you know, he was one of those guys who was always watching the Western movies as well and got me hooked on that. So, you know, all of that stuff that you don't maybe think too much about as a kid and all helps formulate where you, who you are, you know, I, that's a lot of him. And uh, and here it is, you know, again, 
there's so many reasons why being here means so much. But I'm in the, you know, I'm in the Cowboy State, I'm in the world's first national park. And who'd ever thunk anything like that? Nobody in my family. And uh, certainly I didn't. And here we are. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. Every day is a beautiful thing around here. It's fun to think about all those things that, that led us to where we are today. So tell me about um, how, how you ended up in the Everglades. Was that how I ended up in Key West? I tried to spend the winter in Wyoming and decided it's far too cold there. I went as far south as I could possibly get. And, and that's how I ended up in Key West. I was running, literally running from the cold and then found a place where I thought, you know, this is pretty good. <laughs> and what's wrong with this? But how did you end up in the Everglades for your four years there? Well, it was, uh, again, fate, uh, I would say. I was in my I mentioned my wife's from Georgia. In our, in our pursuit of each other over the years, you know, we'd get close and then farther away, you know, geographically. Well, I made it as close. She was in North Georgia, and I made it as close as Savannah, Georgia. And I was on, on the coast, Tybee Island, Georgia. And I was actually managing condominiums. And uh, her sister actually helped set me up with that. And then it was just out of the blue, one of the mostly it was short-term rentals, you know, vacation kinds of stuff, people there for a few days or a week. But we had a few that we'd rent as apartments. And oddly enough, a woman ends up renting an apartment there for, for about three months. And great woman who ultimately I became very good friends with. And uh, she was a park person also. She was in between seasons. She had worked out in the Utah parks and she was heading to Everglades National Park as the personnel manager after she was done with this little you know, free time, if you will, on the beach. And we were chatting and we traded, you know, the, the quote-unquote war stories of working in the parks and both loved it. Well, she heads on. And I didn't really enjoy, the folks were great, but I didn't enjoy doing that job. Long story short, one day, not long after she leaves, she calls me and says, we have a marketing job down here in Everglades. <laughs> Would you ever be interested in moving and taking a full-time job in the parks? And it happened to be the same company, the predecessor to Zantara, that was here in Yellowstone that I work for. They just got in the contract in Everglades. So, and I wasn't really happy what I was doing. There was no guarantee, but and I was still single at that point, although chasing my wife. So I quit that job and, and literally packed up a cat in my van and drove down to Flamingo, Florida, southern part of, you know, everybody around Key West knows Flamingo. But, um, and did an interview, if you will, and hope for the best. And, I got the job and, and, uh, you know, and I never thought of Florida really. I, I don't, I know very little about it. I've been there spring break a couple of times, but you know, I didn't know much about it, but I fell in love with the Everglades. Again, it's another national park. I love the outdoors. I never thought it's, a, as you know, much more subtle place than these big mountains and big wildlife we have out here. There, you know, it's, it's birds and it's things under the water and it's uh, bugs as well and reptiles, but it, I fell in love with it and got to live there and see, you know, wild Florida through the Everglades. And, and that turned out to be four incredible years. Um, and it also, you know, to tie back to the romance piece, it, be, it was the kind of job then where my wife was a teacher by trade, ended up coming down to Everglades and, and then managing a gift shop. And it was while we were there that we got married. It was, you know, that job that we could start to, you know, build a life on. And uh, so, Four great years, 84 through 88, um, before I came back out here to Yellowstone. Europe. Nice. So what is, what is, that's, that's interesting. So now you're kind of, you and your wife are both working in the parks and you see that, I mean, I, I remember in my own life, there was this, there was this period where I was being a fishing guide 
And I just kind of thought of being a fishing guide as something you did in the summer. And I was surrounded by a lot of other people that felt that way until I started seeing some of these other more established, older guides that were married, that were raising their families as being fishing guides. And something clicked. And I was like, oh, this is something you can do. Like, I could just do this. This is this is a real job. Like, <laughs> this is a job. This is a real job. And I could do this if I wanted to pursue this. And it really changed my mindset com- completely. And I started thinking of fishing as a career rather than rather than a summer job. And what so I would imagine that you and your wife are kind of in the Everglades and you're kind of thinking, okay, well, what's next? And how did the how did the Yellowstone opportunity kind of present itself? Well, that's a great question. And this is another part of the story that is not unusual, and it's and I think it's really cool, and it's one of the other reasons I stayed here. Um, I, I, I may have mentioned I was an art major in college, right? So I I don't I wasn't going to uh, make a big living after college on 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 painting and sculpture, but so this this opportunity I, I take the job in the in Savannah and Tybee Island managing condos, and but I did have a little background just working in the parks, a little bit of that kind of customer service stuff. And I, I worked my way up. But long story short, I go to Everglades. That marketing job, I had done some advertising and some different things for the condos, I, I, but I did not go to school for marketing. But the point there is I had a good track record with my three summers for working for the same company in Yellowstone previously. So, And this company and it, uh, loves to promote from within loves to train. So I literally go down to Everglades with a little bit of experience advertising the condos and this and that, but, but it's a small operation and a small marketing budget. And so, and, and they were willing to take a chance with a guy who had, had a pretty good you know, reputation in terms of my, my working. And, uh, so I got to learn as I went marketing, uh, in the Everglades for the hotel operation. And at that point it, it was a motel and there were some cottages and a restaurant and all that. So I got to learn. And, uh, and that is not unusual. We love to promote from within. We love to train folks. And, and so the career opportunities, again, who to thunk way back when working in the laundry, but the, the career opportunities for, uh, for folks that want it for advancement within the company are very, are very good here. So that's where it started. Uh, you know, my background in in Yellowstone, I got a lucky break to apply for and get a marketing job. And and by the way, as you know, Flamingo, it's year round, and so the mosquitoes can be pretty rough. So it's not <laughs> well, like it's on the top that. of everybody's list for places they want to live year round. So my experience in parks and love of parks helped me with that job, and um, because I wanted to be there, and that you know, in that case, was a big deal too. So here we are. And then, you know, my wife goes down there and ends up, she's a teacher by background and, but she ends up working in and ultimately being able to manage a gift shop and did quite well down there. So she gets into management as well. And, you know, it, it continued on from here. I, I, I ended up coming back to Yellowstone because I had some pretty good success down there in Flamingo and the Everglades. And my gentleman who was the vice president and general manager here in, in who's also a conk, by the way, he was born in QS. Really? He's the reason they got with it. They got, that we went even went after the, you know, the uh, Everglades contract way back when his name is Steve Tedder. And I owe so much to him. Great man. He saw some possibilities. So he actually 
opened up or made a, a assistant director of marketing position out here in Yellowstone. And we had another gentleman who was my boss, John Olson, who was a VP of, or the director of marketing at the time. A lot of experience. So Mr. Tenner thought, let's bring Rick out here. Let's, let's bring him back to Yellowstone. And, and that was a full-time job as an assistant director. And I got to learn under a guy who'd been doing it a long time. Now I'm in back in Yellowstone, which I love and my wife loves. A little bit of fate, a little bit of hard work, too, that got recognized. And so I've been able to learn as we go with some of the best. And, um, and it's because this company you know, created some of those opportunities. And, and I'm not alone on that. Our general manager now started, I think, in a gift shop maybe way back when. You know, my former GM was a front office guy. And he ended up a vice president and a general manager of the whole show here as well. Um, there's many examples like that for folks, you know, if you show a, a, a good work ethic, I guess, and have a little success, people notice it. We want to keep, keep you here. So that's cool. And so when you move back to Yellowstone, I can only imagine as you're saying that and you and your wife, did you have kids at this point? Nope. Okay. So you and your wife, you and your wife are, are leaving Flamingo in the summer and, well, I don't know if it was in the summer, but you had spent many summers there. You're leaving there knowing what the summer is and you're getting off the plane or out of the car in Yellowstone. I can just imagine this reprieve from the bugs, from the heat, from the sunburn. Not that you're not getting sunburned in Yellowstone, but I mean, even even Slough Creek at its worst is better than Flamingo at its best day of of bugs. <laughs> you know, that just seems like a, a serious reprieve. Yes, it's bittersweet because, as you know, winters down there, you know, there's, there's times when there was no bugs. You could be mm-hmm. running around without a shirt on in the weather and, no, and laying in the grass and no big deal. It's great. It was beautiful. And and as you know, in the summer, you learn, just like you deal with winter out here, down there, you dress for the summer and the mosquitoes and you make a run for the boat. I had a little boat, a little canoe and um, or the car and something we used to call the flamingo flush. I'm sure everybody's got one when you, you drive down, you crank up the air conditioner, drive down a row, open the door and try to flush all the mosquitoes out <laughs> in the car with you. But you're right. And then uh, coming out here though, it, it was a big change and it was springtime, by the way. I think it was, um, maybe April, uh, when we came out and, uh, and we knew what it was. And I, I'm, I like, I, believe me, I love flamingo and this is not a slam on Florida, but I have to admit, I like the, the, the drier temp, drier air out here, you know, a little less hot when it's hot. Yeah. And, uh, but I, but I, I believe me, I think about Flamingo all the time when I'm shoveling snow. Yeah. But by the way, I also have to laugh when people complain about mosquitoes and tell me, give me their war stories. <laughs> Whatever, say what you will. You got nothing. This is my, my take on that. But we came out here in the spring. It was great. And we drove out, we packed up everything and, you know, the old U-Haul and did that kind of thing when we came back here. And, um, and, it, and it was, it was cool. It was a great reunion. I, you know, cause I knew a lot of the same people I hadn't left as we've talked about earlier. Some people, it, they get bitten by the, another kind of bug, which makes you want to stay in these parks. I will say this, that's April of 98, of 88, I should say, 1988, I come back. And you know, when June 80, of 1988, we had the, what was the beginning of the biggest fires ever. So it was another, uh, learning experience in the marketing world that, that, immediate summer after we got back. Wow. 
Well, you did a good job. I'm, I made it out there the next year. I, I must have heard about it somewhere. Um, <laughs> but that, that was when probably, you set that a was, big fire, you're on the news you know, every day. So well, I'll tell you what, it. man. It, it was probably the easiest year. Looking in hindsight, it might have been the easiest year to get a job in Yellowstone. The summer after the fires, you know, a lot of people considered, oh, Yellowstone burned down. But I don't know. There are plenty of people out there. They hired too many uh, room attendants, which is what I was. And that was great for me because I wasn't really there to make money. I was there to experience the park. And, and I would have three or even four days off a week sometimes because they just had too many people. They're like, does anybody want to volunteer to not work? Yes, me, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I did. Um, well, man, that is such an incredible story. And I still have to- so many other questions, but I do want to get to if somebody wanted to do that, if somebody wants to, and so in so many cases, it's it's a kid taking a gap year, it's college students with the summer off, it could be, you know, someone changing careers. I don't know. There's so many things, but I'm sure that, that gap years and kids taking, you know, taking a summer off of college have to be a major part of your workforce. If somebody wanted to go to Yellowstone or any of these other national parks that that Zantera works at, what or, or has the has the contractor the concession? What's the process? Well, it's it's pretty much all online. So it's and and I'll back up too and say all those folks you mentioned from college students, retirees love you know it's a great opportunity for retirees. Some want to you know have all this great experience that they can apply here for a summer, it, what, you know, counting or, you know, certainly guest service or maintenance and things. Others just want to do something completely different. College students, certainly the gap year deal. There's people that love to just work seasonally and uh, will go from park to park, either with Zantera or mix up different parks, you know, managed by different uh, companies. In our case, though, if you put in, I think it's about eight months a year with us, even as a seasonal, you can earn benefits and medical and such. But how do you do it? You um. The easiest way is to go to Zantera.com, X-A-N-T-E-R-R-A.com, and there's an employment page. And that, you know, from there you can see what all the different parks and other opportunities there are within Zantera and, and start the process from there. For specifically for Yellowstone, you can go to our website. Um, it, it, the easiest thing to remember if you're looking for work is Yellowstonejobs.com, which is just part of Yellowstone National Park Lodges.com. And once you get into it, we put all kinds of information out there about the jobs and videos and what it's like to live here. And, and uh, we, uh, we try, we bring in social media from all our employees. You can get a sense of what the employees are thinking and saying. So going to the website is a good place to start, learn about the opportunities that are available and the places where they're available. And then you, you know, it's an apply now scenario and, and it's an online application that you can submit. Um, to us or, you know, to Zantara for, you know, any of those other parks or opportunities. So the big picture is not, it's not all that hard. Uh, start with Zantara.com or Yellowstonejobs.com and, now, and it should, you know, take you through. There's got to be a ton of people. And when I was in the park this summer, actually, I was in the park this summer. I'll probably be in the park in a couple of weeks. Uh, again, a lot of international people working in the park. And that leads me to believe that there are a tremendous amount of applicants so if somebody wants to do this, like this is the question I get a lot, a lot, like how do you do it? And then how far in advance do you have to apply? And I'm like, I don't know. I'd apply as, as far in advance as you possibly could. But what do you think about that? Like how, 
Do you have any kind of a, a, a frame of reference of how many jobs are available in the park, like when it comes to summer work? We have in Yellowstone, I don't know across all of Zantara, but just Yellowstone alone, it, there's 2,700 seasonal positions. So that's not positions like I'm in year-round. That's just, just seasonal. Right. So it's, a, and we're probably the biggest, you know, certainly park operation, but within Zantara and, and within the park system, we'd be one of the bigger ones. So having said that, though, right now it's interesting times because, as you know, the economy's going pretty strong. Unemployment is very low. So it's times like this where it actually becomes a little little more challenging to find folks looking for seasonal work. So it's a great time <laughs> to to want to you know come out to the park when the economy you know softens up a little bit. It, unfortunately, it's it, you know there's more people looking for work, so it makes it a little easier to find seasonals. But Either way, whenever you do it, that's the way to do it. The, the internationals are, if, if I, a little side note here, I think are a real interesting piece. One of the reasons we work with seasonals is because we need more output. We need more people than oftentimes what we can get because college students have a, uh, you know, a short window, for example. And then during peak season, we've got a lot of them, but we've extended our season. We, we open in end of April and we're, you know, last hotel doesn't close now until November. When you were here, I believe, certainly when I first started, it was a much shorter season. It was more like a Memorial Day to Labor Day operation, Mm -hmm. a little bit on on either side. But so, and we have a lot more rooms here now we've uh, over the years. So it's a much bigger operation and we need folks that span just a traditional summer break of a college student. And that's where the internationals help. The other cool thing about that, the internationals, it's a, it's a it's an exchange program in many ways. It's a cultural exchange program, and uh, when I met people from all over the country as a seasonal, I thought that was great. I used to tell folks, I can go anywhere in the country, and there's probably a I, I know somebody whose couch I can sleep on for tonight. <laughs> yeah. But nowadays, you've got kids from around the world, and so seasonal employees or any of us now know people from you know different parts of the world. So there may be couches <laughs> across the globe now where someone can crash for a night. And uh, a, a side note on that, I can we mentioned my daughter's working here. One of the, the this international thing, my daughter, youngest daughter really connected with the internationals when she was working seasonally. And I think it contributed to her deciding to go in the field of work she she does. She's now at the University of Colorado in Boulder and she's working in the office that is involved with uh, international students coming in their admissions and helping them. And she's an advisor now uh, in their process of going to school in the States. That's she interesting. has friends. She really connected with the internationals while they were here and she was working with them. So it's, it's more again, and more than a job for a lot of people. It's, and I know several folks who, who met and married also talk about romance <laughs> folks from other countries yeah. that they met here. So anyway, there's so we're looking for a lot of positions and, and people and, and uh, yeah, that want this kind of deal. With the internationals, what do they have to do to just get a like a, a visa, a work visa, or something? There are different types of work visas. Yeah, J ones and H two Bs and all that. And we work. I think it's the J ones is what we work with mostly, which is a work. It's a cultural exchange thing, but it does allow them to work, and then it allows them to travel. Those employees or students or those people. Once they're done working here, that gives them a, a little bit of time to travel. And that's what most of them do. They come here. In many cases, they want to improve their English. They want to see what this is all about. And then um, and they want to see the country. Wow. So, 
What they a make great their money way to do that. They, they leave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What an incredible so way too. to do that. I mean, you're you're speaking with with. Uh, I mean, if you want to improve your English, I can't imagine a better place than working somewhere in the park where you're interacting with a lot of people. You have every accent available in this entire country. I mean, Yellowstone is my favorite place to play the license plate game. You can you can get all fifty like in an afternoon pretty much. So you're you're really dealing with people from every state and every every region. And if you wanted to improve your English, I would imagine that you talk to somebody from New York and then you talk to somebody from Tennessee. That's two different forms of the English language. And if you can become proficient in in understanding that, then you're you're pretty good, you know? I I, I told you I married a young lady from Georgia, and as I kid, I kid folks, it took us three years before we understood what we were saying to each other. But <laughs> I believe in that. all seriousness, these students that come here, it, it, it seems to me the ones that I've had the pleasure of meeting over the years, more often than not, they already have. They're very good at understanding and speaking English. So I, I wonder where, how are you going to improve? There's a few that are, you know that are still working on it, and uh, and then after living in you know employee housing here and with others you know from the states and from other countries yeah i mean there's no better way you're immersed in the in the opportunity to to speak and learn the language no doubt man that is so cool you spent so much time in in really one of the one of the greatest places in my opinion one of the greatest places in this country and and truly my truly my favorite place that i've that i've ever been i mean i don't know it it sounds kind of weird, I guess, but there's some sort of energy that I feel in Yellowstone that I don't feel anywhere else. I felt similar things when I went to Hawaii, when I was out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I felt I felt a, a, a real energy uh, in Christmas Island. I feel that way sometimes on the ocean in certain special places there, but nowhere does it feel as strong as, as Yellowstone. And I felt it like is the, when I went to work there that summer, that was one of the things I was like, man, this place just feels different. It is, and and you're you're on top of a super volcano, so of yeah. course there's there's you know there's energy everywhere. Like it is spewing out of the ground in in many places, and in the form of geysers and and hot springs. And I mean, you are very. It's just a really cool place. I wonder, you know, like when I was there. I started backpacking heavily, and we tried to do as many trails as we possibly could. I wonder in your experience what's the what's the thing that you've done in Yellowstone that you think is the is the wildest craziest thing that you've done in your 28 years there. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh narrowing that down, but you know, I guess one of the first things comes to mind, I'm going to go back to that that first summer. I came out in May. Uh, because it, it, it may not be the wild and craziest, but it, it certainly left its mark. And that's why it comes to mind so quickly, coming from New York State. And I was out here in early May, and I was one of the first people at location. Uh, and if you know Yellowstone, you know the Yellowstone Lake area, and I was at Lake Lodge. And so there's only a couple of people on location. So I go wandering out one day in May just by myself to kind of check out the area. And it's snowing. <laughs> but... I went, I went off on a trail. In hindsight, probably not a good idea to go marching off by myself. And there's no bear spray, no nothing. I don't even know if there, anybody used bear spray back then. No, but they didn't. Anyway. Have, they had bells. Yeah. <laughs> so I go off in the snow. I don't even have a hat on. I mean, it, this is such a wild experience. I mean, even the weather's crazy wild. But while I was out and I, I get off 
towards Pelican Valley, actually. But I hear a rumbling, and uh, and it's like, what the heck is going on here? And I kept going a little bit, walked up a ways, and then I realized what was happening. There was a, a herd of bison running towards my direction. They didn't know I was there. So I duck in the trees, and these bison come hauling by. And again, I've only seen this on television. I'm, I'm not even in the park for a week at this point. And I had seen some bison on the busting in, which was also incredible, you know, to see them live for the first time. But it was another thing to be standing off a trail with some trees around me by myself in snow when a bunch of buffalo come running through and you hear the, the hooves and you, you know, and I see this and I didn't, wasn't all that far off, off the road or that would, that just sticks with me today as the real, real welcome the Yellowstone. These are, this will hurt a wild bison and I don't know what's got them going and running, but they did. And they came my way and I'm in this relatively harsh conditions in the snow by myself and just saw this happen. That, you know, I don't know if it's the wildest, craziest thing, but it was one of the more impactful things. And it's, right. and it's, it's why I'm here. You know, it's, I, geysers and all that are great. And one of the many reasons Yellowstone, you know, is as important as it is in the world, really, and why it's a park. But the wildlife is really what, what appeals to me. And bison are also, you know, representative of the park service and of, of conservation. There's so many things and, and so important to Native Americans if you want to, you know, get a little spiritual here. There's so much about bison that mean a lot to a lot of people. And that day, that was my experience. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear right now <laughs> thinking about it. It was a little intimidating as well. Also, one realizes how small one is. Yes. <laughs> and it's never getting the big picture. <laughs> Whenever a bison come running by and you're, there's no one around to help you. It's just me and a tree or a few trees at the point. But that was a pretty special day. Yeah, that's incredible. And you can have you can have so many experiences like that. And I think that a lot of people that have never been to the park or have only seen it on on television or whatever don't realize how easy it is to get into one of the wildest places in this country, certainly in the lower 48. I mean, basically, you get off the road and you walk 400 yards and you are in it. You know, <laughs> you are in that could happen to you at any place. You could also see a grizzly bear. You could also see all kinds of things. And and it is a wild place. And and when you're in a traffic jam or 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 you're you're just driving down the road, you just don't realize how incredibly wild it is on the other side of that hill and that you're looking at. And and that was a it's funny, we have a very similar experience in a very in almost exactly the same place. First thing we did at my my location was Lake Hotel. I was a room attendant there. First thing that we did was decide, oh, let's go on a hike. And we ask around, and one of the one of the uh, people like yourself that had been working there for a while are like, you know, go go do Elephant Back Mountain. That's the closest, easiest hike there is. And of course, we were just like you're saying. It was snowing. There was still a ton of snow on Elephant Back. We were completely unprepared. We lost the trail. I don't know how you lose the trail on Elephant Back Mountain. It's marked as well as you can possibly get. You know, we just got back from there, and I was just like, wow. I mean, I had an experience kind of like yours of realizing how small you are, realizing how wild that place is, realizing how easy it would be to really make a bad mistake there, and maybe we need to recalculate everything that we're doing here and not just go 
hiking off someplace that we don't, I mean, did anybody have a map? No. Did we have water? No. Were we carrying extra jackets and hats? No, none of that stuff. And you just find yourself completely unprepared and naive and, and just in a place that later there was a grizzly bear attack right there. Not there, not very many years ago. And, uh, then when I hear that, I'm like, wow, we were just tromping around up there on Elephant Back Mountain. First day, first day in the park. Not a good, not a good thing. <laughs> I hear you. I, 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 we're fortunate. Some, in many ways, the place can be forgiving, our two examples. Yes. But in other ways, not always. So you, you have to, I mean, good, good we've learned our lessons and got yeah. out of that one alive, right? But uh, now with a, a fond memory. With, yeah, definitely a fond memory. But then, then also so many of the things that I, you know, I, I kind of keep in touch with the park. I try to follow Instagram and, and other other social media that I can see what's kind of going on there. One of the most humorous stories that I have seen in the last few years is when someone found the baby bison and thought that it was cold and put it in their car and took it to the ranger station, which has to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But in all of your years there, you have to have seen this story replay itself in various forms over and over again, maybe not quite to that extreme. They were well-intended, although not, I mean, yeah, not a good idea. And, and it speaks to the fact that they don't know, they don't obviously live anywhere near a place like this. That is a monument to wild places. Right. And this is how it works. Uh, bison are fine, thank you. And they they grew up and they've been doing this for many many thousands of years and will continue to do it. Um, so that was in, in some ways it was sad too because that bison couldn't they weren't able to get it back with mom. Right. So that that calf. But what I what I see, it, which is is disappointing, but it's also I, I spend a lot of time. A lot of us do trying to help uh, educate, if you will, folks. Is that they, people largely don't understand wild and so you 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 know not long ago there's a picture that circulated uh and some videos really too but a picture that circulated from a gentleman reaching out to pet the nose of a bison he was standing on a boardwalk and the mm. bison happened to be next to the boardwalk and he reached out um there was a video not long ago of a young girl fortunately she ends up she's not hurt but she she was with a crowd of other people that got too close to a bull bison and after a while the bison just decided to to go you know, clear out the area and that right. poor little girl got tossed quite far. I saw that too. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it, it, with all the messaging, with all the efforts everybody makes to say they're wild, you're clear, don't get too close. You never know. They're unpredictable. I see it all the time. I live in Mammoth, which is, you know, wildlife central. And right now the elk are, uh, red, uh, could be the mating season. The rut will kick in here anytime. So they're starting to gather. And I, they love my front lawn. I got a lot, <laughs> big lawn, a lot of good they do. And with that comes the people. And if I sit on my porch, I often have to intervene quite a bit with people wanting those selfies that are willing to not only get too close, but then they, then they turn their back on the big animal or animals and start backing up, trying to find the animal, you know, as they're holding the phone up to get the selfie. It's like, where else in the world would a human being decide it's a good idea to get too close to an animal that's way bigger and turn their backs and then back up towards it to get a picture. And, and, uh, but here, so that's the kind of, it's disappointing too. And you try very hard, you know, to help folks. Some folks don't want to listen. 
but it speaks to the fact that maybe we need more Yellowstones and, and national parks because they just have no idea other than perhaps zoos and you know domesticated places where animals are domesticated and don't really understand the fact that that's a that's a wild animal and there's you may get away with it this time and the next time you won't. Right. So, uh, I just do. I do tough. think that it is it is one of our country's greatest resources that that the the forefathers were wise enough to see the value of not just Yellowstone, but so many other places and put them aside as national parks. I think that is one of the, one of the coolest things about living in this country. And, and a lot of people don't see it. A lot of these people that are making mistakes with wildlife are coming from countries where wildlands are not available. Wild animals don't exist except for very small ones. And, you know, how would they know? I mean, when I was there, people would ask me like, questions that you couldn't even believe, like when do deer become elk and what time do they let the animals out of, of you know, what if we're going to go to Lamar Valley, what time should we go? What time do they let the animals out? It's like, um, they don't like, <laughs> they don't let anything out. Like they live there all the time. Like, yeah, but that's just not, it's not sick, sinking in, you know, but, uh, but that is, it's such a great resource and it's such an incredible opportunity for young people to experience it. And it does not have to be Yellowstone. I mean, it could be Yosemite. Uh, I have sent so many people to Yellowstone to work and it has inspired them to go and do other things. My niece, my nephew, my son, his girlfriend, and probably 50 other kids from clients who have asked me how it was that I got started. And then they go home and say, hey, would you like to do something like this? And, And it's just such a great opportunity it's it's so cool to hear from you like the opportunities that are available even beyond just summer work and how you could even make a career out of it and and that it's a legit thing to do i mean it's it's really cool to hear your story well thank you i've been very fortunate and i love sharing it and i you know i i i want to get others turned on to this idea even if it's just to visit yellowstone versus make a career out of it there's so much to be gained and so so much upside and and we seldom it's hard to leave this place not being a better person for having visited it and it's it's even harder to leave this place after working here and spending an extended period of time without being you know a better person for having been here um this place and other parks it's no different but yellowstone's the world first right so and it's it's it is unique in that you know more geysers than any place else in the world you you don't see a lot of places like this there's western landscapes there's wild areas but you know between the wildlife and that super volcano referred to with all those hot springs and geysers it's it's different and uh and and it's been a place people have been coming from around the world for a long time as well. So it's 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 an icon, and uh, and those of us who get to live and work here, I think universally consider it a privilege as well. Oh, of course, absolutely, it is. It is such an incredible privilege to to be in in such a wild area, and then to have an opportunity to to not only make a living but to to end up thriving there. Now, one thing that we didn't cover that people might want to know about like if you're just a you know somebody's thinking about their their kid maybe going out there like how does it work and I know this but I'd like for you to tell tell the audience how it works with housing like people are not having to find a place to live or anything like that once can you explain kind of the the situation sure. yeah for se- our, for seasonal workers there is in park housing 
the, the majority of it I would categorize as dormitory style, you know, two to a room um, in buildings that, you know, we, we have and manage and there's somebody oversees the building and all that. So in that way, it's sort of like college, but we also have, in some cases, there's for managers that, you know, you might have your own room, uh, you'll have, uh, there's even some cabins in certain areas, small cabins like that. There's also an employee RV park or parks in different places. So, uh, you don't have to be a retiree, but it, oftentimes we do get retirees who, who love going from place to place. They're living in their RVs. And so now they can take them here, work for us this summer and stay in an employee RV park. So it's mostly dormitory style, but either way we provide in park housing. And then with that, we have employee dining rooms at the different locations we manage. So, and that's, it's sort of, I would describe that as cafeteria style where, you know, you go through a line, there's several hot entree choices and, you know, the sandwich bar or salad bar or, you know, cereal and stuff in the morning, depending on what meal you're at. Um, there's a whole staff that just takes care of feeding our employees. So, and it's a, it's a deduction. It's a cost thing. So it's, it's pretty low cost to, and it's deducted from your paycheck. So you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. And with that, I mean, in addition to that living and, and eating, there's an employee recreation program here. There's actually some rec halls, gyms around the park, and there's intramural leagues and hiking clubs. And, you know, tr- if you don't have a car, there's shopping trips into the gateway communities and such. So, the, I mean, the, the, that, that piece of the lifestyle for someone who wants to work here, whether it's a young person or a retired person, that's as much a part of it as, as it is the park itself. Yeah. So, yeah. And why, and- why I stayed. Well, I was going to say, you know, for somebody that doesn't have a car, you know, Yellowstone is a giant place. But when I was there, there was opportunities to take the bus. I don't know if there are are still opportunities how you would get to trailheads or or you know to see the park if you if you showed up there without a car. Are there opportunities for that? We don't have per se a point to point transportation system here uh, for employees, but the employees certainly can jump on any of the tours we have, and they do that a lot. What happens, though, two things. A, there are, and this is what I did. Uh, the first year I came out here, again, I didn't have a car either. So friends did. So I'd either join them when they were going someplace or, you know, from time to time they would lend me a car. So um, that's kind of how that works. We also, I mean, I, I don't know that I ever recommend hitchhiking, but it is something that happens here, and I did then. And it's not unusual to see uh, some couple of people on the side of the road holding up a sign. This is park employee. Mm-hmm. And then something that says their destination, I'm going to Canyon or I'm going to Grand Village or whatever. And that's, so that still happens today. But so not necessarily point to point, but I, uh, it, it seems to work out between people that have cars heading here and there. And then, as I mentioned, the rec department does trips into towns, gateway communities on a fairly regular basis. And employees can join that and go into places like Cody or, or Jackson and, you know, might include a raft trip if, you know, they're setting that up as well, or it just may be shopping in a movie. That's cool. That's cool, man. Well, uh, everybody I've ever sent there has had a great experience. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's an incredible place. I really appreciate you talking to to me today and and explaining all of this. You know, it's it's just such an incredible opportunity, and I'm happy to to have made contact with you because I really wanted to get in touch with somebody that could that could um, you know explain the process and the opportunities and everything. And you know what, I got far more than I than I had ever hoped for. You did such a great job, and you have such an incredible story. I was kind of thinking I was going to be talking to somebody that was off site maybe unfamiliar with the park and was simply, you know, in charge of processing applications. 
which would have been interesting and it would have made a great little 10 minute show, but, but your story is amazing. And, uh, I want to, I'm going to have to look you up when I, when I get out there, my boys, um, my, both my boys now, because of, because of my experience in Yellowstone and our experience going to Yellowstone many, many years as, as they were growing up, they both fell in love with it. They're both at Montana state university right now. So they're just up the road in Bozeman and uh, pretty much every free minute that my youngest son has, he's going to the park to try to film uh, wildlife and they love to fish and, and they're, they're, they love to hunt outside of the park, of course. But uh, the park's <laughs> just been such an incredible thing for my family. And then my son and his girlfriend have both worked there. My niece, my nephew, like I said, Everybody had an incredible experience. My nephew went back, I don't know, three years, I think. He worked at Roosevelt. My son worked at Roosevelt. His girlfriend worked at Roosevelt. And uh, uh, my niece worked at Canyon. So very, very good experiences all around. My niece went on to work at Mount Rainier this year. So she's kind of embracing the, embracing the, the park lifestyle, kind of like you. Like, you know, I'm going to look for another job. I want to see a different place and gravitating towards the park. You know, it's it's funny, and I, I want to just close on this. Whenever I go to a national park like Yellowstone, or I get this exact same feeling, the, the, the landscape couldn't be more different between Yellowstone and Flamingo, but there is a feeling with the people that work there, with kind of kind of the government-style buildings that are that are built in a lot of national parks. There's this, there's just this kind of feeling. How would you explain that feeling of, of what it is like to basically live in an in, inside of a national park? But when you visit a national park, there's, a, I mean, when you go from Gardner to Mammoth, there's a different feeling. When you go from, when you go from Cody to Lake, there's a different feeling. Like all the buildings are different. There's obviously not as many people there, but there's just kind of a, there's just kind of a, a feeling that is different there. Do you notice that? I certainly do. And I, obviously Gardner is just out the North entrance. So a lot of it's very similar, but perhaps what, what this ties to is the fact that there's a reason it's a park, you know, it, it, that piece of land was set aside for a particular reason because it's got, it's got some other level of importance, maybe significance in the world. Um, maybe I'm getting a little too lofty here, but I, I do, you know, you, you do go through the entrance, you see the sign that says, welcome to Yellowstone or welcome to Everglades or whatever. Um, you, you know, you've entered a, a something that's got a, a, its own level of significance. In a place like Yellowstone is huge too, as you know, Everglades is huge. But, and so, yeah, from place to place, it is different. At, at Yellowstone's being the oldest park. I mean, there's stuff going on here before it was a park. And there's still evidence of that. There's history, I guess. So yeah, there's a legacy that one carries on when one lives here. The house I live in now is the oldest building in use in the park. And that's my residence. It goes back to 1884. And and they call it the Nichols house. And the Nichols family has a lot of history and, you know, big part of this, of, of the early days of Yellowstone. And now Hullinghausen will be <laughs> probably not regarded quite the same way, but it's assigned to that house now. And so when they, they, they did the history of the house and my name's in the article now, my last name. Wow. I, I don't know if I'm hitting it exactly, but that's all that for me rolls together, why it feels a little bit different. And the people I've met here, we talked about that. Some, some pretty cool people are dedicated to this place and with the park service or with the concession and from across the country. So it's, it's a gathering place too, in many ways, of, 
of people and from their histories and backgrounds. So it, collectively, all this stuff kind of comes together in in, yeah. the, in this park or any other park. And I, so I don't know if I can put my finger on one thing, but yeah, it's a lot of things. It's very interesting that you say it just like that, that you don't know if you can put your finger on one thing, because that's that's particularly or exactly why I asked that question, because I can I can never put my finger on it. But I, and I can never quite put my finger on why it feels the same to kind of go and check in at Mammoth as it does to go and check in in Flamingo, even though they couldn't be more different in in so many ways there's still this familiar feel you have kind of the same it it kind of draws the same type of person to work there it kind of draws the same kind of person to appreciate it and and to visit it and so there's just i don't know it's just a different feel but that's i can't put my finger on it either that's why i asked the question Sure. And I'll mention this. I don't mean to belabor it, but when you talk about Everglades and I, I, that's, that was, that's natural Florida, if you will, you know, so it's pretty evident when you leave the metropolitan area in South Florida and you're in, you're in Everglades and it's not metropolitan and it's, it's the original Florida and, and Yellowstone is that way. And any national park that's a, devoted to the nature side of it, that's what you're dealing with. And it's, it's a lot less places like that these days too. So I think that, that adds significance to it. I, I, learning about the River of Grass and, and getting a chance to meet Marjorie Stoneman Douglas at one point. Hmm, and, really? I, wow. and, and learning about, yeah, she, she was very old at the time, but she was down in Flamingo. And with uh, Senator Bob Graham was there too. So I, it was an event and I got to meet her. And I, you know, I read the book at that point and I learned a lot about Everglades and why it was so significant and, and what, the, what its challenges were. I got to be a piece of that for four years. And, that's a special place for that reason. I'm I'm drawn to the nature part. I mean, there's certainly historical parks and and cultural parks. There's so many different things that can fall into a national park unit, all very worthy. But I I tend to default to the nature side, which is what you do, I believe, too. So that's what means a lot to me. And uh, so for a period of time, I got to be part of that that ecosystem yeah. <laughs> myself. And this one here, and that that. Again, I use. I don't want to overuse it, but privilege is a word that comes up quite a bit for for those of us. It's just not everybody gets to do what I do. A very small group of people get to work here at all. Yeah, uh, but as we talked actually, about, I get to live here, raise a family, and everything. Right, but as as we as we near the end of this conversation, the opportunity is there for twenty seven hundred people to experience something like that. You know, and and, and vacation. Uh, right, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's work, there's no it's better work. way, in my opinion, to see the park than than to work there because now you're surrounded by people like yourself that have been there far more lo- far longer than you have. You're getting these these little tidbits of information that the general tourist isn't going to get. Like you should go. This is the trail you should do. Like, don't that one's nice and it's it's nice, but this one has got a real incredible thing. Whatever it is that you're looking, oh, you like waterfalls? Oh, have you seen this one? And and they send you to kind of a little more obscure place and show you how to link it up with two or three other hikes. And you know, if you leave a car here and you do it this way, you're going to be able to see all of this. And and it's just things that you, just the general tourist doesn't doesn't necessarily get and that's one of the one of the benefits of of being an employee is you're kind of an insider and you have some inside information and and you're surrounded by people that that know a lot more than you do so it's it's really cool but we'll end it there 
And I just want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story. It's really cool. The next time I'm, I'm in Mammoth, I'll uh, I'll drop by the Nichols house and see if I can say hello to you. I've got a great porch. and has got some chairs set up, and we can sit down and talk about this further. I'd love that. You have coffee there, right? Come by. I got coffee. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Sit on a porch and drink well, coffee. <laughs> I got you And covered. look at Elk. I have got and we'll, <laughs> And exactly what we'll do. I had some friends from Everglades, actually, here last night. And we sat on my porch, and we watched Elk come by and, and talked about our days in the Everglades and, and Parkston. So I hope I get a chance to... To, to introduce you to my porch. Right on, man. Well, thank you, Rick, and uh, congratulations on a life well lived. I uh, I uh, have great appreciation for it. So uh, thank you again. You, and I appreciate you taking the time today to chat. Yeah, you bet, you bet. And for everybody out there, you want to go work in a cool place? We just told you how. So uh, we'll put all this in the show notes, all the links to everything that we talked about. And man, if you're interested, go do it. All right, thanks, Rick. Pleasure's all mine. I really do look forward to meeting you in person. 